I noticed that the, um, the talking was dying down, so I'm like, that's my cue to get up. I like what Wes said. Um, his was to be like the minister of like foreign, what is it, foreign affairs, because then you, like, you can like fly around the world and like, yeah, Julie Bishop, Julie Bishop just quit, so like, job's there. <laughs> but um, today we're chatting about, um, we had coffee after the morning service this morning, and we're chatting about, Eddie had brought this like new like flying thing, like you had business class, and there's like a thing above that called the residence, where it's like your own hotel room in an aeroplane, like double bed, en suite to shower, a recliner, and then like your own five-star chef. So it's like, if I could fly like anywhere in the world for my job, then I got to do that. Then like, I've made it. Like that's that success. My year nine science teacher will take back her comments. Um, <laughs> rough. Well, hi. <laughs> my name is Matt. I'm one of the young adults here. Um, I've been given an opportunity to get up here on stage and just um, share what I feel like the Lord's put on my heart. Um, I shared this message this morning. And I didn't get done for heresy, so hopefully I can, I can do the same thing tonight. Um, I just want to talk about rivers for a bit as I, as I come into what um, I want to share tonight. Um, if, you, if you don't know, I joined rivers about 18 months ago. Um, the Lord called me to the promised land of the north side. And I left behind the desolate wastelands of Ipswich. Um, the morning service laughed harder at that joke, but whatever. <laughs> Tough crowd, eh? Um, and I've been up here ever since um, serving as part of this, this church family. And on my time on the north side, something that really has stood out to me about Rivers is it has a very incredible, good reputation in the local community, both amongst other Christians from other churches, but also like non-Christians. So I tell people like, you know, oh yeah, I go to Rivers, I work at Rivers. And people are like, wow, you know, yeah, Rivers, like, I know that, that. how do they do this? How do they do that? You know, I've heard about their... Um, their food bank, which now has a crisis caravan, will soon have a crisis caravan, which is really amazing stuff. And I thought this was really, really wonderful um, because I, n- I never experienced a church like this before. I never experienced a church where it's such a servant-hearted place. And I don't do this to like, I don't say this to, to grow ahead, but as, a, as, a, as an encouragement, I guess, to the church. And from what I know about Rivers is Rivers was founded about 35 years ago by a group of individuals who came together and were obedient to a call by God to come and plant a church here in Kalanga. Who plants a church in Kalanga? Anyway. (laughs) Sorry, Kalanga. Um, And since then, various ministries have been started by people from Kalanga, um, from Rivers. Um, Some of those ministries have ceased. They've ended. They're no longer functioning ministries. But many of them still continue to this day. Since Rivers was first started, Many people have been a part of Rivers. They've called Rivers home, and they've been encouraged. They've been made part of a family, and they've been trained and equipped and sent out. And many of these people have left Rivers. They've gone to other churches. They've moved to different states, different cities. Some have moved to different countries to go and serve the Lord, listening to his call. And I think that's a wonderful thing. I think it's something that we can be proud of as a church. But this is a testament to the work of grace by God in us and in our church where Rivers is a light to our community, it truly is. It's also a light to our individual hearts as we're part of a community that cares about us. And so as we go through this time of transition, um, if, you, if you don't know, our senior pastor Dave resigned um, back in June. And as you might have heard just then, like Janelle is, is stepping down. Praise be to God that she's sticking around. If you don't know Janelle, she's one of the, 
coolest, most genuine, most loving people ever. Shout out to Janelle. Um, make sure you go chat and, and get to know her. Um, but as, we, as we go through this time of transition, transition can be quite scary. I've been a part of a transition before. This is my fourth church that I've been a part of. And in, four, in all four churches, I've had pastors and senior staff members resign. At St. John's, a Lutheran church that I grew up in, we had a pastor called Pastor John. He resigned and he moved up to Mackay, Roma, somewhere far north. Um, and then our children's pastor, Pastor Tim, who took me through my confirmation course, he resigned. And then I, um, I moved to my sister's church, City Hope. There's this awesome youth pastor they had called Katie. Katie was just flamboyant, just out there, but just really loving, really genuine, just loved, loved everyone. Um, and then she resigned. Then I moved to White Hill and our, we had a youth worker there called Nathan, really cool guy he left. Then we had a guy called Tim who came in to replace him, but he left. And then we had um, our executive pastor, Barry. Barry ran. Um, we had Barry and Daryl, so it was Bazza and Dazza. Best pastor duo ever. Um, but Barry, Barry was called by Nambal Church of Christ. He went up to Nambal. He's there now. So transition is, is something I've been through before. And I know that trans- through transition, sometimes we're really excited. We're really hopeful. Like, yeah, this is awesome. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we have feelings of anxiousness, uncertainty, worry, like what's going to happen next? What's going to happen in the future? Who's going to come in? Like, am I going to like the senior pastor? Is he going to be a really cool guy? We have all these like, I guess uncertain um, hopes for the future. And um, I've got a, I've got a, um, something that the father I think has been drawing to my attention recently is the idea that the kingdom of God is made up of heaps of different tensions, these different ideas that work in tandem together, but they're seemingly opposite. And one of these I see in rivers, it's this one idea of that God has it, God's got it, like God's in control, God's sovereign, and his Holy Spirit's at work. But on the other hand of this tension is human responsibility. Like what's God calling us to do? What can I do right now in my own life to help partner with the Holy Spirit? And to be able to, to tap into the power and the promises made, made to me by Jesus as we go through this time of transition. And so tonight I want to share a message um, from Hebrews chapter 12, um, verse 1 to 2. And Hebrews is written as, a, as an exhortation. An exhortation is an encouragement. But it's an encouragement given with the intention to incite or to cause something to stir up within the hearers. To build passion, to like fan the flames of passion within the people who hear it. So it's this really powerful encouragement. It's an exhortation. And this church has gone through lots of struggles too. And though some of the struggles might have been different, I think some of the struggles would have been quite similar. This feeling of uncertainty, this unsuredness of the future. By this point, persecution had started to really rise up against the church and their friends and like their neighbors weren't just leaving the church, they were being killed. Um, and so there's this feeling of kind of like, well, what do we do now? And John Piper, um, he gives this, this explanation, um, which I think is really helpful. It says, the book of Hebrews was written to a church that was getting old and was selling into the world and losing its wartime mentality and starting to drift through life without focus, without vigilance, and without energy. Their hands were growing weak. Their knees were feeble. It was just easier to meander in the crowd of life than to run the marathon. And as I said this morning, I'll say it again. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not giving an accusation to anyone being like, you're all weak and drooping and, and not doing anything. No, not at all. But I feel like some things in here we might relate to. And some things here we might be like, well, 
I don't know what, what's happening with the church right now. I'm just going to drop back and focus on my own stuff and, and just to see what I, you know, I can do over here. Or There's this feeling of uneasiness towards the future. But yeah, we'll just jump into Hebrews and um, I'll just read out this passage for you guys. Kate was taking a photo. Do you want me to go back, Kate? Okay. <laughs> so Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this verse is seated towards the end of Hebrews, and the writer has just gone through all these amazing truths, just reminding the Hebrews, hey, like, don't forget, we have confidence to approach the throne of God. I guess in Hebrews 4. And in the chapter just before this, he lists a whole list of, of Hebrew heroes who've gone before them. Guys like Enoch. The student Enoch. You might not have ever heard of him, but it says that Enoch never tasted death. Because of his righteousness, God came and took him up in the cloud. So he, he never died. I'm like, that's like the coolest thing ever. I don't know. I just think it's really cool. And he goes through like Abraham and Moses, um, so like David and at the end, he's like, he just lists all these people in one long line. It's like, I, I don't have time to tell you about these wonderful things. There's these wonderful people that have gone before us. And then he says this, you know, therefore, let's run this race. Um, and so what, I, what I'm, I'm going to do tonight is um, I'm going to focus on that first verse for most of my message and just unpack it for you guys. Um, and I really want to grab onto this metaphor that he, he brings up, this idea of running a race. Now, in the ancient world, this might sound very strange, but in the ancient world, it's actually dishonorable to run in public, which might seem really weird um, to us. Most of us probably go running after work every day uh, or once a month. Um, <laughs> shots fired. Um, but in the ancient world, this was dishonorable. They wouldn't do it. But they did have, they did have athletes, athletes who train in the gymnasium and would perform in the stadium. Um, in the ancient world, uh, the Olympics were started by the Greeks, and they had Olympians back then who would train. But something very peculiar but interesting about these ancient athletes is that they used to perform completely naked. So I have a picture of naked men. There you go, up on the screen in church. Um, so this is them wrestling. Um, someone from the morning service pointed out that they might be wearing hats, so they aren't completely naked, but for the sake of the metaphor, they actually just got dreads. The Greeks of dreads, um, they're completely naked. Um, so this it, is really interesting, right? So he's painting this picture for them. He's like, run this race with endurance. He's, he's you know, throwing over to like the athletes. Think of the athletes. In their, their mind, they, they think of these men performing naked in their stadiums, which is, which is normal to them. And it kind of begs the question, you know, he's calling them to throw off these weights and lay aside their sin and kind of saying to them, what is holding back these athletes when they run? Nothing. What hinders them when they sprint um, back in the ancient Olympics for like hundreds of years? They only had like one um, sport, and that was a 200-meter sprint. So if you weren't good at sprinting, too bad. Um, but, you know, what's holding back these athletes from sprinting this race and running this race? Nothing. They're not wearing robes, which are catching on to the wind. They don't have you know, dodgy sandals. I know if Australians lived back then, they probably would have won the race with sandals on, but, you know. And so his painting is a really cool metaphor, this idea of running a race and being naked. 
and from here we can draw a parallel back to Genesis 2. Where we have Adam and Eve and then the garden, and they too are completely naked. And their physical nakedness is rep- a representation of their spiritual naked. What stands between Adam and Eve and God in Genesis 2? Absolutely nothing. They have no shame, no guilt. There's no awkwardness in approaching God. There's no sin, there's there's no baggage from their past that is feeling like a ceiling between them and God. They don't feel like God can't hear me. They know they can hear him. They walk with him in the garden in the afternoon sun, and it's beautiful. And so from here, we can draw this this parallel that the writer of Hebrews um, could be hinting towards this idea that he's saying, throw off these weights and lay aside this sin that we can be, in a way, spiritually naked before God and therefore have a deeper and more pure intimacy with Him. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to unpack some of these words and go back to the original Greek they were written in. Um, So Hebrews was written in Greek, and sometimes what can happen is, as we translate from the ancient Greek into our English, some of the, the more pure meanings behind the words can be lost in translation. And so my goal for you guys is to present this really clear and really vivid image of what it means to run this race. Um, and then we'll go from there. So it's, it's going to be a bit teaching heavy, but bear with me. And um, yeah, really enjoy it. And hey, if, it's, if, it, if that's not your thing, you can have a bit of a giggle at the Greek words. They're pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I'm just going to jump in. So here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud, so this word cloud means nephos, nephos. That's like the Greek word there. Um, but it literally means a cloud and a large, dense multitude. But here's the interesting point, is that it's used to denote a great shapeless collection of vapor, obscuring the heavens, as opposed to particular and definite masses of vapor with some form of shape. So that's really interesting. A great shapeless collection of vapor obscuring the heavens. So what he's painting for us now is his idea is it's not like one of those like, cute little clouds, like little fluffy things that's floating through, but this cloud is so great and so dense it covers the whole sky. And um, when I read that, I had like, kind of like a, um, a reference to that verse in Revelation where John comes up and he sees this great endless multitude of people standing before the throne and singing the praises of God. Like, so great in number. He, he couldn't even number them. It was innumerable. And so here we have this, this picture in our mind of this huge cloud that covers the sky. And it's a cloud of witnesses, um, which is a Greek word which literally is pronounced martyrs. It means witness, but has three, three connotations to it. The first one is a legal sense, like a, a witness in a courtroom. The second, a historical sense, the idea of a spectator, a Broncos fan down at Suncorp. And in the, in the third sense is this ethical sense, which is the word martyrs we have, which is those who, after his example, or her example, have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. And so here we have the writer presenting to us this idea of this, this huge cloud of people, people who are, are watching on, people who are, are looking at the church. And in a legal sense, they could be enemies of the church. They could be people who are looking to see if, if we're going to stuff up, if we're going to make a mistake. Or perhaps they're a bit skeptical in a historical sense. They've gone, 
They're watching this, kind of like watching a sport game. They're waiting to see what's going to happen. Who's going to win? Who's going to come out on top? Is this God really so mighty? Is this God really real? I'm wondering. I'm interested. I want to see. Or it could be in the ethical sense. This idea of the man is, or, or Christians, Christians who have gone before, Christians who are walking with us, and perhaps Christians who are coming after us. But that's the idea of, of people, like these Christians are the ones who are, these are our greatest fans. They're those guys in, in the stadium who are like hardly ever on their seat, they're up, they're always cheering. Every time there's a big hit in footy, they're like, yeah, come on. Every time there's like a good kick, they're like, yeah, come on. Like they're just like keen. And so we have this huge amount of people watching us. And so for this reason, he says, let us lie, lay aside every weight. So this weight means ogkos. This is my, oh, my favorite one. Okay, no one laughed. Sweet. Um, but it means whatever is prominent, a protuberance, 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 a bulk or mass. Um, hence it means a burden or a weight or encumbrance. This is a really interesting word. There's another Greek word that's often used in the exact same sense. But this other Greek word often means this idea of like, the word literally means a buckling of the elbows. Just painting this idea in our mind of here's someone carrying such a heavy weight that they're literally starting to buckle under the weight. And as Paul continues on and, and gives this idea of an athlete running a race, you might think like, that's really silly, right? Why on earth would a sprinter be holding like a hundred kilo boulder above their head about to run this race? They're not even going to be able to run. And I think this was the point of the author kind of saying, yeah, it is silly. It's foolish even. So why, Hebrews, are you doing the same thing? Why are you carrying these weights that are, in a sense, completely stopping you from chasing after God and being intimate with Him? Why are you holding on to this baggage that's not letting you run after Him and running towards the end of this race? So we're laying aside this weight and this sin which clings so closely. This word which means hamati. It's the most common use of the word sin in the whole New Testament. Um, I'm going to read those first two points and I'm going to commentate and then I'll continue. Um, so sin. Sin means to be without a sharing, to miss the mark, to err, to be mistaken, to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor, to do or go wrong, to wander from the law of God, to violate God's law, to sin. It also means that which is done wrong, again, to sin, an offense, a violation of the divine law in thought or in act. So what I really like about this, um, what I find really interesting, is he kind of presents us a spectrum. On one end, you have to miss the mark. Like, like you know, you, you tried, but you came short. Or maybe you sinned, but it was totally and completely unintentional. You didn't mean it. Maybe you believed that the Sharks were a better football team than the Broncos. You know, you just came up short. You know? But then on the other end of the spectrum is you know, a violation of the divine law in thought or in act. And, and things over here are, are, are sins that are quite terrible. Things like slavery or sexual abuse. Things like murder. But here we have the author is saying, hey, it doesn't matter where the sin that you've committed falls on this spectrum. All of it is worthy to be laid aside, to be cast off and thrown away. All of it is hindering you from chasing after God. And all of it in some way is hurting someone, whether it's you, others, 
or even if it's just an offense towards God. And all of it's worthy to be thrown aside. Then we have this third point, which I find is, is again quite interesting. It says, collectively, the, comple- the complex or aggregate of sins committed either by a single person or by many. And all of a sudden, he's kind of drawing us all in together and, and speaking together as, as the church. You know, it's sometimes we as a group of people, we can miss the mark. We can fall short. We've seen quite evidently in the history of the church in Australia, the church can commit some quite grievous acts. And therefore, there's, we have this human responsibility to stand up for the oppressed, to stand up for the hurt and the broken, to stand up for those who've been violated. And it's kind of, I was thinking, I was thinking about this before and it reminded me of this really cool African proverb which says, it takes a whole village to raise a child. It's kind of like on the other end of that. It takes a, a whole church, a whole village to keep up the justice in the village. It takes a whole church to maintain the justice in the church. So let's throw aside these weights and the sin which clings so closely and we'll go back to that idea of these, these witnesses, these people watching on, it's for that reason. We want to do right by the community. We want to do right by our government. We want to do right by our nation. We want to do right by the people of the world. Some people look to us, they see us without fault. And so to see that we are following after God as we're called to. So yes, let's cast aside the sin which clings so closely. And let's run with endurance. I don't know how to pronounce that word. But endurance means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. I really love this added note um, by the guy who did the translations. He says, in the New Testament, the characteristic of endurance is that of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Like this is how we are to run. Don't be swerved by the things of the world. And again, this is why we're laying aside these weights and casting off the sin. So we won't be swerved from following after God where he's calling us as a church where he's calling us as, as individuals so let, let's run this race um, race means purely fight conflict, contention, race this idea that like, there's a struggle involved and I like the fact that the author is not sort of trying to tell us like hey everything's going to be fine, it's going to be sweet and dandy life is easy, no way he's like no, it's a contention it's a fight it's a struggle. For this reason, again, lay aside every weight and cast off all the sin. We're running this race that is set before us. This means to lie or be placed before a person or a thing or in front of. Um, I thought about um, back in primary school, we had this um, PE teacher called Mr. Watson, we called him Watto. But, um, Something that he taught us when we were running, when we were doing athletics, was he's like, boys, like, stop looking at each other when you're running. Like, we're all like looking to our side and we're all like kind of sprinting and we like look to the side and we're like kind of like jogging and then just like, oh, I'm going to be running. Like, we're all like looking at each other. He's like, no, no, no. When you're running, boys, keep your eyes on the, the finish line because that's what you're aiming for. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Don't worry about how fast or slow they're going. Run as fast as you can. When we take our eyes off the finish line, instantly our our mind goes into protective mode and we can't run as fast as we can. Because our mind's going, what's in front? Is there a ditch? Is there a hole? Is there something you're going to trip over? You need to know what's in front. That's what our eyes are for, right? Um, so I thought of that. If that helps you, 
cool. Like maybe you had a really cool PE teacher too. You can tell me later. We can share stories. Um, but it means to set before, to be placed before the eyes, to lie in sight, to lie in sight, to look towards, to look towards Jesus. Go straight into second verse. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joys that were set before him endured the cross. And right here, almost ironically, we have another picture of another man who is naked. This time he's hanging upon a cross. And back in Genesis 3 where we sinned, the first thing we did was we covered ourselves with fig leaves to try and hide from God. It's like spiritual representation. Now we're like kind of guarding ourselves, afraid of what the holiness of God might do to sinners like us. But here is this man, God, Jesus, hanging upon a cross. And he took that shame. He took the guilt that we have covered with ourselves. The sins that we have clothed ourselves trying to fill this hole left by God, he took upon himself. And despising that shame, he endured it. And he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is what we're all about as a church. And this is why we're here. We're here because of the cross. We're here because of Jesus. We're here because he made a way that was possible for us to lay aside every weight and to let go of the sin which clings so closely. We've been, um, a couple of us have been doing the reform course that Tim always talks about. I've sussed it out. It's all right. It's all good, guys. You can do it. Um, now, it's, it's actually really wonderful and something that reform does, it, it brings you to a position where you have to have, take a really good hard look at yourself. And it doesn't do this in a legalistic way or a condemning way neither does God it does it in a way where we can come before God and go God I've got this sin in my life and I've got to deal with it I've got this hurt and this pain this struggle from my past God I've got to deal with it and the most wonderful thing is like, God's willing God wants to God wants to set us free that's what he did when, when Jesus walked into the the synagogue at the start of his ministry, he read out this passage from Isaiah and one of the statements was that he has come to set the captives free, to open prison cells, people might walk free, finally. It was really interesting. One of the guys in my group, you know, he said it's like, this feeling is kind of as if like the shackles have been released and the cell door is wide open but I just can't walk out. Jesus is here that we can walk out and he wants us to show us that way. Praise God that we have a church that we can attend freely be a part of a family that supports us in this. And so tonight, um, I'm going to lead into communion. You can come take communion. And um, we've got some pillows. There's like seven, so you have to fight. It's a race. It's a contention. Um, and the, here's the cross. Right where it should be. The center. Feel free to come and, and kneel at the cross. And if there is a burden that you feel has been hindering you from chasing after God or a sin that you feel like is kind of like clothes is clinging to you so closely but stopping you from running in full flight. God is willing to free you. God is willing to pour out his Holy Spirit upon you to restore you. Part of the mission of, of the cross is partly to A, proclaim it. Proclaim the kingdom that God is here. Set his rule upon our lives and to free us from the yoke of slavery. That's part of the message of the cross. 
But another part is freedom. Another part is intimacy. That God has come back to restore the relationship lost. That God has come back to heal us of our wounds and free us from our sin. He has come to help us run this race with endurance and have a pretty good time doing it too. And so when we come to communion, we remember the cross. We remember Jesus and we thank Jesus that by his blood, by his broken body, we are free. That we no longer have to live in past habits. We no longer have to live how we used to. That sin is not our identity. Our brokenness is not who we are. But we're children of God. That's pretty cool. We were made to know him. We are made to worship him. So um, I'll invite the worship team back up they want to come back up play some tunes um, and you can come down to the front um, the elements are there you just dip a bicky into the juice and you can go and chill we also have offering bags if you want to if you feel led to to give um, but yeah you can come in your own time and come down the front um, I'll be here Tim will be here probably get Joe and Janelle they'll be down here to pray for you guys if you'd like some prayer um you can grab one of your friends or someone sitting close to you if you feel more comfortable praying with them. But yeah, cool. I'm just going to pray so you guys can do whatever and then, yeah, cool. Father, we thank you so much that we can approach your throne room with confidence. That it was your intention to come into this world and to set us free from the sin that clings so closely, the sin that feels like our identity. You've come to set us free, Lord. We thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That though we run this race, you're in control. You're there at the start, you're there at the end. And you'll be there with us the whole way through. We thank you for the companionship of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd help us to be more aware of you, more aware of your presence, more aware of your voice every day as we go through this life. I thank you for this church that we can call home. We thank you for this family, this mismatched family. I thank you that by the cross we're united by you. We're united in worship and prayer. Pray that during this time that there would be no fear, no anxiousness, no uncertainty about the future, but we would set our eyes squarely on your cross, looking forward to the coming glory, to the day when you will crack the sky and come to take us home, Lord. I pray that we that we wouldn't slow down, we wouldn't we wouldn't stop for the cares of the world, but they would hold fast onto your truth. And that we would call out to each other and encourage one another to keep on going and God I do ask you for healing I pray for healing right now for people who might be hurting people who might be suffering I pray for healing for people who feel separated or isolated in the feelings of being alone 
I pray for those people who are feeling just absolutely burdened by life, like they don't have a minute to themselves. They don't have a time to sit down and just chat and be with you and sit in your presence, God. I pray that you would open up their life and, and show them a space where they come and can just be still and just let go and hand over to you, Lord. And God, I ask that you would teach us the meaning of surrender, surrender before you, what it means to really actually let go, that we wouldn't even hold on to our lives with even as much as a pinky, but would just be giving it all to you, God. So yeah, Father, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're good, that you're gracious and merciful. We thank you that you're a just God. I think you're totally, completely holy and eternal. We thank you that you are worthy to be worshipped with everything we got. We thank you for all these things, Lord. And I pray for them, knowing that you hear us. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. So yeah, communion set up. Come on, left and my right. Come up in your free time. If you like some prayer, feel free to come here and, and sit before the cross, even just sit in God's presence. Uh, but if you would like prayer, then um, a few of us will be down here to pray for you guys.